That's the best bareback gallop through the wilderness wow. I've ever seen. Not quite bareback. You could be wearing cutoffs, but I'd be close to bareback. Never nude. Welcome, everybody, to Masters of Profundication. I'm Tom Witham. I'm Steve Files. And uh, I'm coming to you from outside the bunker. I feel incredibly exposed right now. I feel like the audio is going to have to be different now. The The sound quality is not going to be quite the same. Yeah. I, well, for one, I'm Wi-Fi. I'm not hardwired in. Oh, shit. So who knows what could happen? It's a repeat of uh, Providence again. Oh, God. No. No, I, I, I got my mojo back my confidence back from <laughs> last week it actually, you gotta have the mojo it worked uh yeah i'm i'm uh i'm coming to you uh from the living room with my dog my, my dog is co-hosting today your dog's really going to town and licking something there isn't he yeah his paw he sliced oh, it open he's he sliced his paw open as Malinois tend to do because they're stupid and he'll <laughs> run he he would run straight through a plate glass window roll around in a pile of razor blades and just to stick his nose in a porcupine's ass that's essentially what we're dealing with with this dog that is not stupid that's bravery that is <laughs> living life to the fullest our last Malinois went so hard once after a squirrel that he stabbed himself <laughs> with a stick. There was like a stick poking, like a punji stick, like some Holy Viet Cong <laughs> stuck out of the ground or whatever. <laughs> and he stabbed himself and it created like this quarter size hole in his skin. And I guess it's somewhat normal for this to happen, but his, he had a layer of air between his skin and like his like muscles yeah. just like a scuba suit he he was wearing like a skin scuba suit and it would <laughs> it would crinkle it was like <laughs> like this like a paper bag kind of like if you pet him when his body was full of air it would like crinkle like you were petting a, a bag it was the craziest thing in the world that is the weirdest goddamn thing i've ever heard of yeah, and it's well. It's you know this breed of dog. Their their drive is so crazy that they they'll honest to god they'll do the stupidest things to get their squirrels. Rock, squirrels in in this neck of the woods, it's squirrels. Yeah, or yeah. Possum or skunk or feral cats or porcupines. See, I, I there's something I find fascinating about that idea that dogs raised completely domesticated don't know anything from anything will have an instinct to kill critters like my parents have a dog she's old and fat now so she's not doing much of anything but when she was young she was a she was a murder machine yeah. like, <laughs> anything smaller than her was not safe yeah that's like she would bring things in like squirrels she killed a cat once yeah and my parents were like oh crap i really hope this wasn't somebody's pet because uh, i think my dad just buried it somewhere's like okay call it a good just <laughs> yeah, that, that's the last the thing you need is then some families tacking up pictures of their family cat like have you <laughs> seen fluffy no no i haven't not if you see fluffy please send fluffy home because our five-year-old misses fluffy <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile your jeffrey dahmer dog is like got bodies in the freezer and well the funny thing is my parents 
totally like excuse it. Like that cat was tormenting her. Like that those <laughs> like she would yeah. stand on the hood of the car and just sit there and watch her. And, and CJ is the dog's name. CJ would go nuts and bark and bark and bark. Like the cat was tormenting her by staying out of reach. Yeah, the cat was tormenting. Her. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like I, I usually don't make excuses for cats, but I feel like this is not just for the cat. Yeah. Well, but, this, uh, this butthole here, he's had his fair share of kills. Yeah. Of See, many, that's, that's many variety of animals. That is life. That is nature. I once killed a cat, I think. Wait, Not... hold on a second. There's there's like this thing about psychopaths that <laughs> No, no, no. I don't I don't I didn't like take it apart and dissect it and torture it. I, I only do that to gerbils. But uh <laughs> No, I was me and my brother driving home from uh one of the summer jobs we had once and I hit something and I, I was like, Oh shit and I I'm like that was that was a raccoon and ran out and he's like, That was a cat. I'm like, Nope, nope. That was totally a raccoon. That just that, was, that stupid raccoon ran out in the street. He's like, "That was some little girl's cat. You killed yep. some of these pets. You murderer! Gonna wake up, you're gonna wake up tomorrow morning, find it flattened in the road, and we're just gonna drive off." I was like, "It's a raccoon." Yeah, uh, le- yeah. Years later, I could come to the realization it was a cat. I yeah. I, I rode pizza to cat. I I rode pizza to cat. Uh oh, god! It was probably twelve years ago now, but. The, this is it was so tragic because i was just driving along and you know stupid cat runs out in the road what like i'm sorry i'm i'm sorry that this happened i didn't intentionally swerve to hit a cat but a cat ran out in front of me and i ran it over and i felt really bad about it <laughs> so i turned around and i was like going along trying to find like where the cat was if the cat was injured or whatever i ended up running over a second time <laughs> oh my god that's great yeah i mean tragic right and it was one of those things that was like i had i had not gone far enough to turn around i thought i had gone further so i was kind of up to speed and yeah the poor little thing was still kicking and i thought it it just it was one of those things where it was night time and it was still kicking after the second time no 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 god no that uh, okay he or she got pancake pretty pretty bad on the second go but uh you know i thought i needed to speed up a little bit to get back to where i was when i hit the cat <laughs> i wasn't <laughs> dunk, dunk. Oh, yeah. shit. well if there was any saving that cat it's gone I'm, i mean you might have put it up its misery i'm but... i'm guessing it was a mercy killing the, there was a moment from my youth that i will never forget i had a elementary school teacher that i don't even know why or why he thought this was appropriate but i don't know where he started telling us telling us a story about he had puppies and one of the puppies got loose when he was going back and out of the driveway and he hit it so he's like oh i was was like oh my god what happened i got out i looked and i saw the puppy and it was laying there and it was still alive and it was twitching so i got a cinder block and crushed its head (laughs) and he's telling this to a room full of like fifth grader sixth grader something like that i'm like we're all like horrified (laughs) yeah life lesson kids yeah it was just and he's yeah. so like matter of fact, so I got a cinder block and I had to crush its head. We're like, yeah. oh my god! The only thing that would have made that better is if he had just said like dead serious, leave no witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> so it was between me and the puppy, and the puppy had to go. Yeah. <laughs> like what? Do you, like I want the after story. Like what did you do? Scoop it up with a shovel? Like holy shit! Hey, dead dogs tell no tales. <laughs> Tech t- dead dogs wag no tails. <laughs> Not anymore. 
This is true. Uh, so, you know, starting strong, dead dogs, double squish cats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is how I like to start every episode with the dead animals. Um, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, there's a Pat's Pizza opening up down the street from me. I'm oh, preparing, nice. preparing to get fat. Like, I'm going to come to the conclusion that I'm just going to start this phase of my life where I get fat because I'm going to be going to this Pat Pizza's at least once a week. I can feel it. Now, have you had Pat's Pizza like in the past? Do you have history with Pat's Pizza? Oh yeah, like I discovered that that's like my favorite pizza chain around here. Now, and like I feel like a traitor to my peeps in Michigan, but it might be my favorite pizza chain anywhere because there's one in Michigan called Buddies that's kind of like the the Detroit institution, like the bedrock. If if you hear if you ever hear of Detroit style pizza, what you're hearing is Buddies Pizza. Uh huh. And well, what is that? Is that like a deep dish or it's it's square kind of deep dish. It's kind of like the cheese goes up to the crust instead of ending at the crust. Like it envelops the crust a little bit. It's not like reinventing the wheel here, but it's it's distinctive. Uh, little Caesars was doing Detroit style for a little bit. Yeah, uh, here. But huh. do you when you order pats, do you get double dough? I get double dough, pesto as a topping, and hamburger, and that's my magic combination. It's freaking really? awesome. I'm not a huge pesto guy. I don't mind pesto. Oh, um, like when they like when they roll the sliced mozzarella with pesto and a tomato on it like that i'm all about that shit oh yeah but pesto as like a chicken and pesto and stuff like that i'm i'm not digging it i love pesto all day every day um have you ever tried their taco pizza no i love the the combination i just said i love it so much that i i'm afraid to deviate oh no you should because uh, i would lose an opportunity to have that pizza no you should try the taco pizza <sighs> You, I've never you, been that big a fan of taco pizza. I've I've had homemade taco pizza, which was fine, but I was never that big a fan. So if I was going to deviate, I would try something else. I think Hawaiian. No, I'm not. I have not had a lobotomy yet, <laughs> which is what it would take because that's an abomination. Listen, a Hawaiian pizza with bacon, like ham, pineapple, and bacon. Oh, that's what it's all about, right there. That is. Well, hey, Absolute I, heaven. I hate pineapple in general, so I'm never going to try a Hawaiian pizza and just because. Have we talked about the Polynesian? I feel like you mentioned it. What's yeah, a Polynesian? It's the same thing as a Hawaiian, but it's got maraschino cherries on it. Okay, and that I'm, sounds fucking horrible. Oh my god, it's delicious. That's not oh. even a pizza anymore. That's it's it's. I don't even know what that is. Mm-mm. That's some good eating right there. That's when Dante was describing the layers of hell. <laughs> he missed that one. But it's if you dig deep under the seventh layer, it's in there. The so Polynesian layer. Let me guess. Your toilet paper goes over the roll in your bathroom. Yeah, the only psychopaths do it the other yeah, way. Yeah. See, no, it's under. Under toilet, toilet paper needs to go under because if it goes over, there can be a spider up under, <laughs> and you wouldn't see it. And all of a sudden, you're wiping your ass in a spider bite. It probably crawls up in your ass. You you know scientists say that you you put like two or three spiders up your ass a year. People <laughs> a year. Wait, isn't that no? I, wait, I I I think that's good science. People who put the toilet paper over the roll have at least three or four spider families in their anus. Yeah. I put them there on purpose. <laughs> Spiders eat the bugs I don't like. Ah, so, so it's so it's like keep, a probiotic. It's a probiotic yeah, thing. To keep yeah. like flies and ants and cockroaches yeah. out of my ass, I got to keep spiders in there. The, the good bugs. You want the good that, bug. That's science for you. Mm-hmm. Speaking of science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got that. 
What? Uh, <laughs> wait for me to fill the plank. Yeah. Speaking of science, <laughs> that was. Oh, oh, I did see something that's badass. There's something. Whoa, 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 whoa! Pump the brakes. Let's no, go no. Back and, no. Let's go back and do that again. Speaking of science, badass. <laughs> something. Okay, no, wait. Let's try. I it again. feel like you're expecting no, I'm something. Going back. We need to say something here. Speaking of science, science speaks of you. Didn't you? Do you have something that you want to share science-wise? You just got done saying there was something. Yeah, and I was going to say it, then you like didn't like my intro introduction. I I, I don't know. I, I was going to say it, and then you stopped me because it felt like there was something that you needed me to say first, and now I'm at no. a loss because I don't, I don't know how to start. Okay, speaking of science. Speaking of science, I just discovered a tidbit of scientific fact that is oh. astounding and amazing. Yeah, tell me about it. To me. And probably nobody else. So here we go. Strap in. There is something beyond our galaxy that is ripping it apart bit by bit. And we don't know what. We only know that it has to be unimaginably massive. Kind of like heaven and hell. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's what it is. It's it's a different plane where there's people who die that did did good. They go to heaven. People who sinned really, really bad, they go to hell. That's out on the the edge of our universe ripping it apart is that like that solid i yeah that sounds solid. so actually that sounds like a comic book i read that the idea was that heaven and hell are opposite magnetic poles that suck your soul when you die so they had a group of people that would strap themselves to a nuclear reactor so the emp would make sure that neither side got their soul when it died it was in a comic book it's actually kind of a weird concept yeah that's that's solid but I'm thinking more along the lines of H.P. Lovecraft. He has a creation called Azathoth. Oh, that says, tell me about that. A noble god that sits at the center of chaos and slumbers, but when he awakes, he'll destroy everything. Hold on a second. Is yeah. he an unknowable god? Because you just had a lot of info for something that's unknowable. Yeah, it's kind of, and what's the center of chaos? I don't know, but <laughs> how does chaos oh. have a center? Oh, I can tell you what the center of chaos is. Okay. What's the center of chaos? Uh, I'm married to a woman and have two daughters that are the age. I, okay, <laughs> let, I'll just go further. I have four daughters, you know, ranging from the age of four to. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. That's not chaos. That's not chaos. That's bliss. <laughs> I'm contractually ob- obligated. I can I could see you backpedaling. I could see like <laughs> speed lines coming off of your form right now. That's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, chaos. <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, never mind. Um, I, I, it's, it's all great. I love it. And nobody listens to this podcast anyway. That's true. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. If you ever want to, um, if you ever want to see chaos, like if a scientist wanted to sit and study chaos, you sit and you watch a grown woman argue with a seven-year-old. That that to me is you are you're at the peak of chaos right there. That to me is pure entertainment. Like yeah, you're, you're invested. Like this is like your family. You get, you have, you have a stake in the outcome. If I saw that, I'd be like, wow, look at him go. It's like an anthropological study. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Who's going to win? Who's going to start calling the names first? Uh, spoiler alert. Nobody wins. <laughs> except for the, <laughs> except for the bachelor observer off to the side being creepy. Yeah. yeah around the fur and I'm going, Oh, look at that. Yeah. Meanwhile, my dog's outside stabbing itself with punchy sticks. Like, Get me out of this fucking place. <laughs> Stabbing dogs, debating seven-year-old and adults. Man, you do live in a chaotic environment. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just waiting for a, a, a train to crash into my house at the same time an airplane does. You're what's ripping the galaxy apart. Yes. Yes. <laughs> bit by bit. Or it's an unknowable god that you know too much about. That sits at the center of chaos. Mm-hmm. Sleep. Ah, Azathoth, when will you wake? Anyway. Now, wait, wait. Unknowable as in even if you tried to, you couldn't know stuff? Or unknowable as in just like shy, kind of a recluse? Like, yeah, he's a little shy. He he wants to come out and just, you know, join a club and hang out and, you know, shoot the shit. But he's, he's not quite sure that he'll be accepted. So instead, he's going to eat everything. You know, mm-hmm. we've all been there. Yeah. What is uh, what's in store for us when he eats us? Like, is there civilization in his bowels or just mm. doom? Well, I don't know. When the great old ones awaken, they'll teach us new ways of enjoying ourselves. So maybe we'll all just have a lot of fun. <laughs> Wow, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you got to experience that. That was quite the sneeze. I I bring the pain, but <laughs> what's weird is I normally bring like two, three, four, maybe five sneezes. For some reason, I got that all out in one. Yeah, the other day I was I sneezed once, and then I somebody said "bless you," and I didn't say "thank you" right away because I expected another one, and it got awkward. Finally, after like ten seconds, I looked. I was like, "Thanks, sorry, <laughs> I thought there was going to be another one." And yeah, give me this look. And, well, yeah, they were giving you a look like. Oh, I forgot he's an atheist. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I never said thank you for people saying bless you for the longest time. Because <laughs> what the fuck are they doing for me? Nothing. They're doing absolute jack shit for me. I yeah. know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. It's the stupidest social convention we've ever invented. No, it's not. Because when somebody sneezes, you have to acknowledge it. And we've been taught to acknowledge it with, you are mm-hmm. so good looking. You're so good looking. When you sneeze, that's your soul trying to escape through your mouth and saying God bless you. You stuffed it back in. <laughs> nom 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 nom. That was a that was Millhouse. <sighs> you got to the Simpsons reference first. Got it. Yeah. Nailed it. Which I almost did. I almost brought out Homer with the uh, can can God create a burrito hot so enough hot. that he yeah so hot that even he can't eat it. That's a classic. He can, but then he can't. Would you think there is such a thing as <laughs> high science and low science? Yes, there has okay. to be. You okay? You watch uh, some videos on YouTube, sure. and you have have you watched any like amateur scientists doing stuff? I'm sure I have. I can. I I like yeah. watching the uh, these guys that buy these super slow mo cameras, the high speed cameras, oh, yeah, and they yeah. just film themselves doing weird shit and super slow mo, like water balloons breaking and right how things react and those are great because the water balloon goes away but the water still keeps its shape for like half a yeah. second so it's like a globe of water just hanging in them that's what's cool what i was thinking like scientific disciplines that are higher than other scientific disciplines so like uh chemistry versus biology versus sure physics versus astrophysics <laughs> well this is this is what I've always thought. It's like every science has a super science behind it. Every scientific field. So like like pick a pick a one of these what I would say low sciences, which is like psychology, which is coming from a guy with a degree in psychology. I yeah. utterly disdain the field. I think we've talked about this. I think psychologists do good, but they fool themselves into thinking it's actually a science. Yeah. And we've uh, both just had a taste of this recently, but psychology at its heart is really anthropology it's a study of humans yeah anthropology when you peel it away is really just biology how living things work when you get down to it biology is just chemistry 
the interaction of uh, molecules and chemicals and subatomic, you know, things. Yeah. Chemistry. Really? It's just physics. You know, how, how atoms interact with each other and electrons and stuff like that. And when you really get down to it, physics is math. So everything is math. Math is the highest science there is. <laughs> and I bet there's some mathletes that are going to college for science. <laughs> high or are we talking about a different kind of high i was thinking like a lot of philosophy especially we we just attended a uh, implicit bias training mm. and the gentleman that was giving the talk because it i don't know what else to call it other than a talk it it, it wasn't technically training um yeah there should have been more testing if it was training yeah and I, I really feel like a lot of that stuff is just, like, philosophy. It really is. It's some lot, like this guy that we listened to, I can't sit there and say he said anything that I disagree with. Not really. But in the end, I can't also say that he's absolutely right about everything either, because that's what psychology is. That's what philosophy is. It's just opinion. And when they try to do studies, it's never quite the same from one study to the next. You can see trends at best, but not hard, immutable facts. Yeah, and that's why. But the ironic thing is when you, you know, I go through my whole list, high science and low science, who gets paid the most? Like the least paid people are probably the mathematicians and the highest paid people are probably the psychologists because they become like psychiatrists. And right. They, or they become therapists and they give all the little pop things like, ooh, you got to do a juice cleanse and then do yoga and then you'll be aligning your chakras and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And you can you can talk people into paying for that. And then, yeah, all the people with too much money will throw their money at you. Whereas somebody right. is like, uh, the Pythagorean theorem and the quadratic equation are need yeah. to use blah, blah, yeah. blah. It's like, whatever, nerd, just go sit in your right. room write and a, work for a company and make... Write a grant and maybe we'll give you some money. Yeah, make half as much as you should be making because you're the one making enough money for all these companies. Like, yeah, that's the weird thing. And that is maybe the biggest indicative thing about our culture in general is that the higher brow you get, the less, I don't know what the word would be, recompense you get, the the less compensated you get by society. Whereas the lower brow you get, the more that's when you're starting to become the cash machine. Yeah. Segway. (laughs) Segway to high and low end of the entertainment industry. High culture versus low culture. Highbrow versus lowbrow. That's what we're talking about today. Um, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's jump into this. We got this category. What are we talking about here? What do we mean by highbrow and lowbrow? Because there's literally something where that word comes from. Have you heard of uh, phrenology? Phrenology. Hit me with the definition. I'll tell you if I've heard of it. Phrenology is a pseudoscience. It is a, it's quackery, and it is long discounted, but it was popular at one time. It is it is the science of, it's the 19th century, so like the 1800s. Basically, people thought that you could tell everything about a person by the shape of their skull. <laughs> okay. So a highbrow, a high forehead meant intelligent. A low forehead meant stupid. And this really? thing was... Oh, it was huge forever. Like the Nazis used it for their racial theories. Like the, what they say, the Jewish cranium and pale sunken face were clear indications of Jewish racial inferiority. By the time the Nazis came around, this thing was thrown out, but they, they were Nazis. They grabbed onto whatever they could to justify their craziness. Right. So, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, this is where highbrow and lowbrow come from. Is it? I, I equated it thing. 
just like social status or, you know, the socialites, people with money. I would, you know, like who the know, who, who knows where upper crust and lower crust, you know, yeah, <laughs> where those terms come from. But I equate that like more sophisticated humor. But but it's really not necessarily humor because, I mean, things can be funny no matter what. So there's there's more complicated humor, I guess, maybe mm. is what I'm trying to talk about. Um, more just more complex humor that I well, would not even call just, highbrow. Yeah, it's not even just you. Like, like highbrow, lowbrow labels and slept on everything, not just humor, um, music, movies, plays. Literally, right. Well, you know, OK, yeah. so when you when you think highbrow, what do you think of? So like an example or like in general? Would, well, like when I think highbrow in music, I think classical music. Right. So that's the that's the prototypical responses. Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and blah, blah, blah. That's symphonies. Highbrow, high class, low class, lowbrow would be pop music. You know, if you slap it in, you know, Def Leppard's Hysteria, you're a lowbrow mofo. <laughs> so <laughs> and that's why. Into the best ever. Yes, and that's why somebody who is sitting there, a I, I want to say a really good Def Leppard cover band is going to be more successful than somebody who spends 20 years mastering the cello and joins a orchestra. Yeah. Because of the popularity. Because lowbrow, low-class stuff is popular. It appeals to a wide variety. So why does it do that? Why does something like that appeal to such a wide variety? What do you think? Probably because there's more lowbrow people. <laughs> <laughs> than high I, sophisticated people i wouldn't say you know i would say people who are considered themselves highbrow you know how sophisticated still enjoy lowbrow stuff it's big the lowbrow is the lowest common denominator it's easy it's unchallenging and it's quick and yeah. so it's disseminated widely that's in my mind that's where the distinction lies because I've, I've tried to do research on this and I saw so much stuff about highbrow. Like basically it came down to don't poo poo lowbrow. There's all these snobs with their noses up in the air saying, Ugh, you like, you know, EDM, you like dubstep, you like reality television. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and then these, these people writing the article, like, no, it's, it's all about taste and preference. And you can't say one form of art is better or worse than another form of art. And I'm sitting there like, yes. I agree, but there's got to be a difference. There's got to be something, some quality that is in there. So I want to ask you, like, what what examples do you think of as something being sophisticated, upper class, highbrow stuff? Well, I, I suppose there's a couple things. Complexity is one thing. Like, yeah, uh, like a you know an orchestrated piece uh, is more complex than a four minute Def Leppard song. <laughs> you know, probably I don't know. Um, something that is more socially acceptable, something that is, um, you know, quieter, I guess, you know, people aren't listening to highbrow music as loud as possible at dinner parties. Or, you know, when I, when I think of highbrow stuff, I think of like at the country club, you know, music playing in the background is not going to be, you know, Frank FM playing mm -hmm. the oldies. It's going to be something like elevator music and it's going to be yeah. quiet and it's not going to, it's calming. It's more quiet. It's, you know, probably something that would be appreciated by everybody that's there. And maybe if you thought that you didn't appreciate it, you're less than somebody yeah, else. So you, you, yeah, you force yourself <laughs> to, you know, you force yourself into that role 
to be accepted. It, I I think that 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 quote unquote highbrow, the social elite, I the stuffy, I guess, like for lack of a better term, that mm-hmm. stuffy upper crust snobbish, you know, highbrow bullshit. I think that that is probably very difficult to maintain. And I think that when I think of like the Royals over in, in England, mm-hmm. um, I know that they don't want to be, they like, they want to be Royals, but they don't want to be the top of the top that's in everybody's eye, you know, like, yeah, because you have to maintain a certain standard. <clears throat> and I think, you know, people who have money, people who consider themselves highbrow, people to have sophisticated tastes and stuff, they probably enjoy it to the extent that they have to because they feel like other people are enjoying it. You know, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. Like, who wants to... There's probably people that get off on dressing up, you know, in tuxedos mm-hmm. and going to, you know, dinner affairs that, you know... Yeah. You know, the, like, who... Who is it that is enjoying that stuffy bullshit? There's something to be said about Happy Gilmore when Adam Sandler comes onto the golf course. And, of course, everybody thinks that, you know, the private country club golf course is a bunch of stuffy people, you know, people with more money than they know what to do with. And they have sophisticated Mm -hmm. tastes and they have to eat with certain forks and all that bullshit. And in walks Happy Gilmore with his cargo shorts and his hockey jersey and he plays a ridiculous style of golf. And everybody loosens up. You know what I mean? Like that's part right, of the theme right. of the movie is like he's he's breaking that stereotype. And I, you know, I, of course I'm not familiar with that. I don't I don't run in those circles. So my the extent of my knowledge comes from movies and and stuff like that. So <laughs> when I think of that upper crust, I think of the social elite. I think of the people with more money than they know what to do with and people that are probably under a lot of pressure to feel like they have to like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you. And you hit on a bunch of points. So <laughs> this is the prediction I'm going to make right here that people listening to this podcast, I'm going to come off as the worst kind of asshole and i'm probably going to piss you off piss me off personally not like the, not you personally i mean the people the, listening the listener well i'm probably going to say some things that will piss piss people off and you've never done that on this podcast before no so i know this will be the first complete surprise to everybody this will be the first time so you know what this will be the nice sweet steve that never tells anybody to go fuck themselves that goes out the out the window no so <laughs> So this is what I mean when I say I'm probably going to piss everybody off because, and I, I touched on this before, but if you're going to go to sophisticated, high-class, highbrow versus lowbrow stuff, it is lowbrow because it's easy. Like you said it. Sophisticated takes effort. So if you're going to read a great work of literature, if you're going to sit down with, you know, Crime and Punishment or War and Peace or I don't even something like Moby Dick or The Great Gatsby, which is not quite, you know, the upper level, but it's still up there. It takes it takes thought. It takes time. You might have to reread a passage to wrap your mind around what's being said. If you're going to sit there and listen to uh, a play and, you know, listen to Shakespeare, watch it, read it, you're going to have to stop and pay attention and decipher it. That takes effort. And as human beings, we hate fucking do effort. Yeah. So, so the widely disseminated popular culture type of stuff is easier and nobody wants to admit that they took the easy road. We hate effort. We don't want to acknowledge that. So what do you get? A lot of guys sitting around going fucking snobs, fucking <laughs> crusty upper crust bullshit. You know, you're like you said, with your forks and your 
fancy napkins and your thing. Oh, those guys, we need that. We need these schlubs to come in and teach them how to have fun. You know, you're watching a movie. Nobody, nobody actually sits there want to watch the dinner party the entire time. They need somebody to come in with their shirt untucked and their hat askew and play the great balls of fire on the piano and knock the guy playing Beethoven off the bench. And, <laughs> you know, you need that because it makes you feel better about yourself. Yeah. Because the guy that took the easy road is the hero. So you can be rooting for the right side. So that that's how I'm pissing everybody off. Everybody listening, when you when you like sit there going, Oh, fuck those sophisticated blah blah blah. Yeah, you're just because you're lazy. Now well, having just, said that, that's me all day long. <laughs> I love all that lowbrow bullshit. I love it. I'm the guy on the bottom of the ladder looking up the top, wanting to get up there, but then looking to my left and seeing a pizza and saying, oh, I'll just go eat this pizza. Well, look at some examples in movies of the stiff upper class bullshit getting broken down by a character or a scenario like Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. Pretty Woman is a perfect example of, you know, I am a I'm a nasty prostitute and here's this like Manhattan elite, you know, I don't even remember if he was a lawyer or a stockbroker or whatever, but Richard Gere comes in and he's like this uppity guy and she breaks down the barriers for him mm. and like i want to see how that movie i want to see that movie 10 years in advance that, okay you got to forgive me because i haven't seen pretty woman in a long time does she end up with him at the end do they run off together yeah, or do yeah, they yeah. go it's this a romantic ways? comedy they, okay. they always end up together like i want to see 10 years in the future is she more like him or is he more like her uh, you really don't remember Pretty Woman, though. This is actually proving my point, I think, because he never goes down to her level. Like he, she never, she doesn't loosen him up and teach. Maybe I'm misremembering, but she doesn't loosen him up and teach him, you know, the value of a good hot dog or some bullshit like that. He dresses her up, takes her to the opera where she cries because she's never been so moved. Like he exposes her to the good life, so oh. that at the end. Oh. When they're like pseudo, like, oh, my God, they're not going to be together. She's still done being a hooker because she can never go back to that life. Like she got a taste of the upper cloud stratosphere. Yeah. And she's still like, I can't can't remember what she's her plans are. But what she does is like he falls in love with somebody who's not part of his social class. That's it. She doesn't teach him to like fucking put on a trucker hat and watch NASCAR. Like that's that's never going to happen. It's not like he teaches her how to enjoy the sophisticated, complex, nuanced, upper society stuff. Well, the opposite, like the game where Michael Douglas is a stiff, upper-class person, and mm-hmm. he gets torn right down to, like, hobo level. You know, they but does he stay him. there? That's, that's what I'd like, like, in these movies. Yeah, I want to yeah. know, you know, do they stay? do they stay in that spot, or do they return to their... It's, it's well it's like the schizophrenic nature of our society we all aspire to be those people like if right here right now somebody told you i would give you 500 million dollars but you'd have to learn how to you'd have to take elocution lessons and learn which cutlery to use and dress in a tux and go out to dinner parties would you say no that's not worth it i would be betraying myself and you could take your 500 dollars stuff it no, I'd probably take the money. I would take the money with the conditions. I would learn to love Beethoven. I would learn to appreciate Shakespeare. I would go to the dinner parties where to tux. I would do, for five hundred million bucks. Fuck yes. Well, and and some of that stuff ain't half bad. Like, well, and that's the thing. It's more complex and it's more difficult to achieve. So it's 
almost by definition better. Like, and I'm not saying they're saying, you know, it's better because it's subjectively better because everybody's taste of their tastes. And you can listen to one piece of classical music and hate it and then listen to, you know, Michael Jackson and go crazy about it. Fine. I'm not going to say you're wrong, but there is something, I don't know, some standard that is above and beyond or below, I think. Well, I know we're going to get into this with the food, so we might as well just go right into it. Okay, yeah. I will say the best meal I've ever had in my entire life was an expensive meal at a uppity. We we were on a cruise ship at the time, mm-hmm. but it, in the on the cruise ship they have formal dinners where you have to dress up and you have to play a part of everybody there is dressed up, everybody there is sophisticated, and the the food is prepared in a what you would expect for like a, an expensive high end restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, best meal I've ever had in my life beats the shit out of any Big Mac. Not to say that I wouldn't eat a Big Mac or eat Taco Bell or, you know, I would never say I would never abandon that type of food unless, you know, filet mignon was if I could go to the McDonald's and spend $8 on a filet mignon for, (laughs) you know, absolutely. I would do that over having a Big Mac or something like that. But I, I think that there is something to the high end food i think that it goes overboard with these um i don't know food deconstructions like the, the whole chef like celebrity chef and mm. high end chef and that kind of stuff i really believe that it you know can go overboard but for the most part i i watch those cooking shows with the high end cooking and stuff like that and it they turn food that I normally wouldn't eat into something that looks not only appetizing, but something that like my mouth is watering. I'm watching a show where they're fixing, you know, ridiculous ingredients. And by the end, they've got a dish that is like, I, of course, there's only two bites there. Yeah. Yeah. But exactly. It looks it's, delicious. It's always tiny, but there's something, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm just speculating because I've never done that. I've never had like the most expensive thing I've ever eaten was uh, seriously, I think lobster or maybe filet mignon. Like that was about the most expensive thing I've ever had, which was and both of them really good. Although lobster is more of an artificial expensive because, you know, you know, the story about lobster used to be like peasant's food. Would you ever spend a hundred dollars on a meal? If I would, if somebody could guarantee me that it was worth it, like if somebody could guarantee me that this wasn't something that was just, I'm paying for a, the status of being at this restaurant and the food is mediocre. See, this is what, like, this is talking to you. This is kind of what gave me the idea for this whole thing was, was like, is it when you're paying for a hundred dollars a plate, some, some places hundreds of dollars a plate. Can you tell the difference between the quality and the taste between that? And then just getting, you know, a plate of stuff from the buffet. There's, there's a steakhouse in Auburn. I'm pretty sure it's Max steakhouse that um i got a meal there once i think it was like 65 bucks just for me Hmm. and it was basically filet with potatoes like garlic smashed potatoes and like a a vegetable on the side with dinner rolls and like a a beer Mm -hmm. and every single bite of that meal was worth it it was like a enough food where i got exactly the amount i wanted i it hit me at the right time, probably, but like the steak was perfect. The potatoes were perfect. Everything was perfect about that meal. That was absolutely worth every penny that I paid for that meal. And it was delicious. And yeah, that's exactly it. 
So I can tell you that that place has, for that moment I was sitting there, it had the perfect meal. I can't tell you that I go there a second time and spend that kind of money and get the same exact (laughs) experience. But, or I would never want to recommend it like that and have somebody else go and spend their money and not have as good of experience as I had. But I can tell you that in that moment, that meal that I had, the environment, you know, the everything was great. The wait staff was great. The environment was great. The food was great. The people I was sitting with were great. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I spent $65 on a meal that was absolutely start to finish perfect. But there's something to that, right? Because they wouldn't be in business if it was, you know, you thought it was great, but like the next 20 people think it's awful, then they would be out of business pretty quick. Like they're consistently good. So there, there's a standard. There's a secret formula they've hit to make their food amazing and they charge for it. So that's, this is upper class. This is the reason why you can get a Big Mac for three bucks, but you have to pay 65 bucks to get this meal. There's a quality difference. Yes. And this is this is the entire thing in my mind is there is a objective quality difference. Now, there's a subjective level of enjoyment, but an objective quality of difference between the highbrow things and, you know, the typical lowbrow things. Well, take wine as an example. Yeah, you can you can take, you know, the two dollar wine from Trader Joe's and put it in a bottle that looks like it should cost more. And the person getting ordering it at that table, like the, the the amount of people is probably like one in a million that can identify oh, that, yeah. that the, what they're drinking is two dollars worth of wine, but they're going to spend you know one hundred and fifty dollars for the bottle. And <clears throat> there's a reason why there's a big business for fraudulent wine. There's a reason, and the reason is is that that kind of thing is totally and completely up to the person that is putting the wine to their lips. It doesn't have, Hmm. it has probably very little to do with the fact that the wine that you're drinking is actually the wine that it's supposed to be. Well, they've done these studies. Like, like there's a, there's a trap for this whole topic, which is there's status symbols. Like, like I was wondering about the food, like, am I just paying to be seen at this trendy restaurant or is the food that good? Like there is definitely like, it's expensive because it's expensive. Like there's, well, that's why there's such a thing as celebrity chefs. Right. If there would not be celebrity chefs if it wasn't a status symbol. If, yeah, so you're paying for a name, exactly. Yeah. I when we went to New York City, I wanted to eat at Tom Colicchio's restaurant. Like that was one of the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to, I didn't care what the food was. I didn't care that it was, mm-hmm. you know, you had to wear a jacket and you had to go right, in right. and you had, you know, only certain items to pick from and you know, I didn't care. I wanted to eat at Tom, at his restaurant. Mm-hmm. Now, we had a dinner last year in Bangor at a very high-end, what I would put in quotation marks, high-end restaurant. And the food was, was good, but it it was one of those places that the, uh, the waitress, you know, the wait staff has sampled the food. Oh, and, right, right. And then we'll come out with a memorized menu, and they recite the menu from memory and they have a whole spiel that they you you have to let them get through it and it was one of those things where our waitress like they come off as personable like you're the only people in this room and i'm telling you for i'm telling you because this is the way it is not because i've memorized it but Mm -hmm. i'm i'm explaining to you what's available in the kitchen because i was just back there and saw it when the illusion is broken when we hear the waitress at the table next to us give the exact same speech Yep. So, like, it was an illusion, 
we walk in. This this happened to be a restaurant. Uh, one of the things that was special about this restaurant was when um, the guy that uh, Zuckerberg, the mm-hmm. guy that owns Facebook, the the hell's his name? Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. When he came to Maine, this is where he ate. So this was a total and complete status thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we're sitting there uh, in its you know they bring out the, they roll out the food and it's exactly what the waitress said it was going to be but like nothing was i mean obviously it's not something you're getting at applebees it wasn't like pulled out of a, a freezer and thrown on a grill and you know made to look it was fresh they were fresh in- ingredients and stuff like that but i didn't get anything put in front of me at the table that i couldn't do myself in my own kitchen f- from ingredients from hannaford <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> like it, you can say, you know, grass fed beef. You can say, you know, organic seasonal artichokes. You you know, like you oh, can, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can put as many buzzwords as you want in front try, of. Try to be sophisticated. You can yeah. call it gray poupon. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Mustard. Yeah. If you're not rolling up in a Rolls Royce <laughs> next to me, asking me if I've got, you know, organically grown grass fed beef shanks you know <laughs> you're not doing it for me um i just want to roll up to somebody and just look at them and say do you got shanks <laughs> and then just drive away slowly while you're do staring you want them some <laughs> don't break eye contact no Creep the hell out. but um like yeah absolutely there's a market for that and i know we're sticking to food right now it's it's all across the board but um Absolutely. There's a market for high-end, sophisticated mm. illusion. <laughs> the illusion that you are, you know, having this dish that somebody, you know, yeah. invented and slaved over. And and that's the trap, I feel like, is there, it's out there, the, the high-quality stuff. But, like, the reason I brought it up is they've done studies, like, I guess you call them taste tests, with um, one of the professional wine tasters called sommeliers or whatever. Yeah, yep. Where they take in just run of the mill crap and put it in front of them and told them, you know, this is from 1894 and it was squeezed in the foothills of Italy and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, Oh yeah, you can taste the hint of blah, blah. And and they found out that all these experts quote unquote have about a 50, 50 shot of actually discerning between high end wine and regular, you know, run of the mill stuff that you get a a reason why there are so few of them because when they test them out, they separate the bad guessers from the good guessers. <laughs> That's all they're doing. Pretty much. But yeah, so like there's definitely something to the idea that they're just faking it. But there's so many areas when they're not. So I found, like switching to literature, I found this, um, where the hell did it go? I found this description of what's considered highbrow and lowbrow literature, kind of talking about how your young adult poplet stuff or you're like your Fifty Shades of Grey are out there and everybody's loving them and they're selling big. And it's a defense of highbrow literature. So I, I was, was going to read it. It's kind of, it came from um, pretty much a random website I came from. Hannah Kent. I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. I'll give her description, but it's pretty good. It said, she said, in lowbrow books, the writer dictates the reader's experience. Nothing is implied. Everything is explained. The reader's engagement with lowbrow books is one of passive consumerism, and this is why it can be pleasurable. You don't have to do anything. Highbrow literature is different. Highbrow literature is a bareback gallop in the wilderness at night. It isn't harmonious with passivity or a consumerist attitude, and there's no one to hold your hand. It's not sanitized. It requires something of you. So if you're going to read F. Scott Fitzgerald or, you know, Dostoevsky or any of these guys, Nabokov, Jane Austen, 
you're going to be investing something of yourself into it. But if you're going to whip out Dan Brown or James Patterson or I, you're I just, just, I just want to go back. Did you read the words bareback gallop through the forest? Is Was that as described by a woman? So it's not, you know, whole, dirty. Is, what is it? What was it again? Bare, wait, let's see if I can find it. Barebacked. It is a barebacked gallop through the wilderness at <laughs> night. That's that's my new thing, man. Honest to God, that is that is my new thing. Well, hey, did you did you see that? Did you see that show last night? Well, yeah, it wasn't a bareback gallop through the wilderness at night, but you know, I liked it. But it made me laugh. <laughs> you know, it was a bareback gallop through the wilderness at night. <laughs> Arrested development. <laughs> That's the best bareback gallop through the wilderness well, I've ever seen. <laughs> not quite bareback. You could be wearing cutoffs, but it'd be close to bareback. Never nude. <laughs> oh, a bareback gallop through gallop the wilderness. wilderness. I, I love that. That is the I. That's a. That's a highbrow description of being highbrow. That's exactly that the right. point. You got that right, Mister. <laughs> 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 So when you're when you're naked horseback riding, <laughs> beardless. Oh, I find your humor in this very <laughs> pedantic and pedestrian, Thomas. I am gonna use that. Oh <laughs> God, I'm, people are gonna be sick of me using that. I love it. Bareback. It's no, it's no bareback. <laughs> No bareback gallop at night. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Nighttime bareback is the best. That's got to be our new. Uh, it's what they do in Scotland. <laughs> place. Well, that's how they do it in Scotland. <coughs> oh, I love it. But that. Uh, well, great. and she goes on. She has a theme because she goes on to say that lowbrow is the literary literary equivalent of a pony ride at a fair. <laughs> Ooh, she's got a she, thing. She's got like she likes the horse metaphors. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's. That's my point, is that these are challenging and complex and difficult. Whereas you can just whip out a, you know, James Patterson book and be like, oh, yeah. And you know he's going to win. Yeah. And you know the structure, you know the cadence, and you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's That's, that's uh, Disney movies. You know, they're going to give you the same thing. There's a joke uh, in the new Wreck-It Ralph 2 preview just came out. And mm-hmm. uh, Vanellope Sweets is the the girl that Ralph travels through the internet with, and she finds her way to the Disney website. And so all the Disney princesses are there, and uh, they they list off all the tropes like, <coughs> "Where's your mom and dad? Have you been orphaned? Uh, <laughs> you know, have one of your parents been killed? What's your tragic backstory?" Like she's going there, they're all listing all these, and Vanellope finally stops them. And is like, "Are you guys okay? Should I call the police?" <laughs> <laughs> because they're listing off all the uh, the all Disney, tragic, tra- yeah, yeah. The, all the tragic stories of all the princesses. But that's what you're gonna get. That's you know, there's not a lot of thinking. But look who that that is focused towards. You mm-hmm. know, young kids. The princess movies are really geared towards like little girls and stuff like that. So every once in a while, when there is a thinker, I'm trying to think. There was a movie that. Uh, my seven-year-old watched and it blew her mind i can't remember what it was the last unicorn no she hasn't seen that she will though i'll play that for her mm. um secret of nim no no those aren't you're not listing you're not listing disney movies secret of nim is a uh don <laughs> bluth I'm, so, 
I'm sorry, I forgot that your kids can only partake in Disney movies. We don't have any of the Don Bluth. We, I would. I like uh, Secret of Nim and All Dogs Go to Heaven. Um, oh, don't make me name more. No, really, don't make me name more. But oh, okay. um, no, we have more than just Disney movies. But it's not just Disney movies. I mean, it's like a lot of the a lot of the crap that they're churning out now. You really don't have to think about it. Mm. Well, this is this brings me to something. You kind of touched on this. I really want to talk about this, and I know we've kind of talked about this before. But music, um, the state of music currently. Yeah. Like I don't want to jump into because we've already did like pretty much a whole episode on it. But I just watched a video like yesterday that really made me think, and I think. It was on YouTube. I think it was basically called "Why Why Pop Like Why Modern Music or Why Pop Music Is Getting Worse." Like this isn't like this is not what we talked about before a, a generational taste thing. There's actively objective reasons why pop music is getting quote unquote worse. People still love it. People still you know consume it in huge quantities. Mm-hmm. But there are scientific reasons why it's actually not as good as music of the past was. Really, like people people have broken down about tonal shifts and uh, i can't remember all the different things that went into it uh lyrical complexity tonal shifts uh basically a richness of the sound and they figured out that popular music peaked in the 60s as far as complexity and wide range of shifts and lyrical you know richness and then it's been going downward since then until we're at we're at now where with the advent of in studio not even like um auto tuning but just in studio tweaking has homogenized things to such an extent that almost all music is interchangeable that is fed to people now so yeah. there's there's an example i came across one there's two men whose names you need to know lucas gottwald and max martin they are responsible for like every third song that comes out the two songwriters, and they write between the two of them almost everything. They write for Rihanna, Beyonce, Timberlake, uh, Bieber, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, all these pop acts, even like Britney Spears, who back in the day, like one of them wrote Hit Me Baby one more time. So they've been doing this for years. They write like probably like two thirds of the songs that hit the radio. Hmm. That means two people are producing what you think are this wide panoply of content there was this example where in 2009 these two songs came out beyonce's halo and kelly clarkson's already gone and kelly clarkson was came out with her second and when she heard beyonce she was really worried that people just say she's plagiarizing if you listen to these two songs halo already gone they're the same goddamn song (laughs) they are the same freaking song but nobody noticed and nobody cared you listen to them back to back you they're, they're they have the same beats the same rhythms the same tones the same highs and lows the same melodies and i'll, I'll freely admit they're catchy songs but they're the same and, and and they came out in the same year and nobody seemed to notice they both were chart toppers big hits because who they were too i mean yeah and that's the thing that's that's what the music industry is now is based on personalities instead of content and like like this this video i saw yesterday they talked about how slow builds in music aren't a thing anymore like they have to hit you quick they have to be loud like the, the tones are louder like physically higher decibels that hit your ears because there's so much between spotify and even just the radio, there's so much competition for what you're listening to is they have to hit you quick. So that a song has to get to the rhythm, really big, catchy part right away. There's no more room for a slow unfolding of a sound to build up to something grand as time goes on. It's got to be really punchy, really quick. 
It's got to be really loud. And what really loud means is you sacrifice um, nuance. Like you don't hear a lot of like very complex, wide range of sounds happening all at once because one sound, one tone is drowning everything else. That's not anything you hear with somebody that is composing their own music because there's still modern composers out there. You know, you can sit well, there and listen to Beethoven all day long, but that that's great for what it is. But there's also still modern composers out there, but they're not hitting the the mainstream. They're not. Well, I mean, look at Tool. Yes. Tool is a is a perfect example where their music is incredibly complex. They're writing it themselves, but they're anything but mainstream. Exactly. And they have that, some that, rich music. And you don't like this is this is the thing. Pop music and complex music doesn't have to be the difference between you know what you're in the radio and classical music because complex, rich music. Trent Reznor wrote some rich stuff. You know, Queen did some amazing like Bohemian Rhapsody is a triumph of complexity and lyricism. I would even say stuff like Guns N' Roses, certain Guns N' Roses songs. Well, um, you had you had to throw that in there. <laughs> Mr. November Rain. November Rain's the greatest song ever. But listen to November. It's orchestral, it's very complex, it's 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 a masterpiece. And that's not just my bias showing. It's a little bit my bias showing. But but then you pop in something like baby, baby, baby or crazy in love or one of these pop things you know uh what, what was beyonce's huge hit girls and the entire fucking song is who runs this mother girls or some bullshit like i don't know yeah and who it won a grammy or some shit and it won a grammy and it's repeating the same line over and over this is what the definition of lowbrow is they have homogenized everything to such an extent that it is unchallenging and unscary and it's just ooh, this poppy song's out i'm gonna enjoy myself for three minutes and then you go about your life and you never challenge yourself you never think about anything you never it's 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 a loss it's there's something being lost right now like i i I fear for that there is something with today's emphasis on fuck the elites there's something being lost as far as culture yeah I, i don't know well i think you can go back to even the early 90s um i did a thing a while ago where i downloaded not the actual music, just the the inf- the data on um, the American Top Forty with Casey Kasem, mm-hmm. and I I have every show like what what songs were in the top forty, and you really see a difference. I don't have it right in front of me, but I know that from like ninety nineteen ninety and forward, you can see a big shift in the way music like um, the top forty uh in the 80s were was very diverse mm-hmm. you're talking things from michael jackson bon jovi uh tears for fears like there there isn't in the top 10 it can be like 10 songs from 10 different genres i guess mm-hmm. yeah and, and then you see like 1990 91 92 and like beyond you stop seeing that kind of diversity in the top 10 um i don't have any of this i don't remember uh, cause like Casey Kasem stopped doing it and then it was Shadow Stevens, then back to Casey Kasem and then it was Ryan Seacrest. And like, I don't have anything like from 2000 something beyond, you know, like I don't have a lot of the really modern stuff, but I listen to the radio. I'd be willing to bet that whatever is on the top 40 countdown or whatever, the billboard billboard top 100, you get into the top 10, the top 20 songs. It's, it's going to be from the same genre and they're going to be the same songs um, with very, very little diversity. Uh, a lot of the like Drake and mm-hmm. um, just that type no of Mars. club, 
<coughs> club kind of music. It's yeah. Got a, the same rhythm, same beat, same instruments, you know. Everything's just... a everything's a dance song. Like yeah. every every chart topper these days. That that's part of the article I was reading. It's like now, like pop songs, like you said, used to be diverse. You could have Def Leppard, which was not a dance stuff, or you could have Michael Jackson, which would be. Madonna would be, you know, Tears for Fears would not be. But these are still pop music. Everything that charts the top that tarp the tops the charts it has at least a moderate dance beat to it. Yeah. It's all snap your finger dance beady type of songs. Like there is no like like people were talking about the death of rock and roll for years. I think it might be happening now. Like what we traditionally think of rock and roll with you know hard driving guitars, slamming drums, good bass lines. That might be actually it might finally actually be dying off. It's people have been saying it's been dying off for decades. It might actually be dying off, and all you well, have left rock and roll will never die. It will never die, but it will no, never be the driving cultural force it was. It will never be, you know, rock stars are not going to be a thing anymore. It will be pop stars. Yeah. You know, the cult of personality around a big rock, you know, bigger than life rock star is disappearing, which this is the biggest irony because now this is me equating rock stars with being highbrow. And whereas <laughs> yeah. traditionally that was that was completely the opposite of the case. But that's where the, the point we're at right now. Yeah, agreed. Like when he hit the scene, Elvis was a <laughs> was t- tearing down the youth of the nation. And he was a gutter and he was, you know, lurid and horrible. Now Elvis would be considered the pinnacle of sophistication as far as like classic rock goes. That's that's where like like as a world, we keep getting better. We keep getting better technology living longer, getting smarter. But for whatever reason, our culture has been a steady decline for like 50 years and it's not stopping. Or is it just shifting and you're not moving on with it? <laughs> well, well, this is, and this you, is, I, well, I, said, I know and this is where I had to do this disclaimer because like I said, scientifically, as far as the music goes, there is, they're saying the quality of music has objectively changed, measurably changed. Mm-hmm. Now, Here's the catch. Here's the catch of this whole thing. If you are walking in and saying, oh, I don't want to do this because it's lowbrow and I don't want to listen to that because it's lowbrow and I don't want to read this because it's too easy and fluffy, then you're a fucking hipster. And hipsters <laughs> like being snobby and highbrow just for the snake of being highbrow, snobby and highbrow to hold something over somebody else is terrible. But a pre, but you can go the opposite direction too and walling off any attempt to appreciate sophistication because you don't want to be an elite or a snob like both of them suck like there should be a word for somebody like that i don't know is there a word for like a the anti-hipster I, the reverse of a hipster I, I, anti-hipster <laughs> that's all i <laughs> anti-hipster. got uh you know wallower i don't know there's, there's there should be a word for it we, we should make up a word for it a snuffler <laughs> a uh a midnight galloper a midnight galloper <laughs> A bareback rider. A bareback galloper. Bareback galloper. No, that would be high class. It's got to be a low class. Under the horse. If when you ride under the horse and strike uh, to the bottom of the gotcha. horse, that's when you're the you're, when you're uh, being dragged behind the horse. <laughs> when you, so if, if if you're an asshole, high high class person, you're a hipster. If you're an asshole, low class person, you're Mister Hands. Ah, ee, gotcha. Ee. Yeah, ee, you got to get under the horse. Got to get under the horse. In front of the horse. Gotta get in there, man. You gotta get gotta... or get there in you, uh, or something. Ugh, God, uh, yeah. this colon's not gonna perforate itself. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, to um to kind of 
bring things around. Name for me a highbrow movie. So there's typical Does, ones that come to mind. Yeah, and, and I'm not talking something that is specifically highbrow. I'm saying that what comes to mind for you, like when, when you think highbrow, highbrow movie, what do you think of? Like Citizen Kane or like Casablanca, which might, I might be missing the boat on this one because that might just be the difference between highbrow and classic movie. I, I think in the case of Casablanca, you're, that would be accurate. I think Casablanca is a, you could remake Casablanca today with a different setting, same story, different setting, and it would work. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it is definitely not. Have you seen it? Actually, no, I've never seen either one. It's one of those type of things I keep saying I'm going to get around to watching and never actually have. Yeah, it was one of those things that I glommed onto in when I was in high school. <clears throat> it was a status thing, <laughs> not to be highbrow, yeah. but it was... You're running bareback now, aren't you? That's right. Uh, it was like a midnight bareback gallop through the wilderness mm-hmm. uh, where you know there was a very small group of people that had seen it and could talk about it. Um, and I suppose it was a status, but it certainly didn't have anything to do with whether or not you were upper crust or not. It was more along the lines of, had you taken the time to watch a classic movie to appreciate it? If you mm-hmm. hadn't taken the time to watch a classic movie and appreciate it for what it is, then you were just a, a dumb dumb, I guess. Which, when you get right down to it, that's exactly what we're talking about right now. Because... Yes. I mean, <clears throat> who who is sitting there? Name name um, a sport that you consider highbrow. What's a highbrow <laughs> sport? See, I don't. I'm not a sport particular in general, but I mean, <sighs> polo. <laughs> yeah, polo like a lot of horse croquet, stuff. like the uh, dressage or dressage, whatever dressage, they. Yeah. yeah, like who is sitting there watching that and can appreciate it? Because <clears throat> I know somebody. I know somebody that we work with whose family is involved in dressage and they are not highbrow. (laughs) But other than somebody that is into the equestrian sports and that's just another outlet for equestrian sports, like who is watching that and like golf clapping with their white gloves, with their (laughs) monocle and mint julep, you know, drink and servants and like, I don't know. It, it takes effort to appreciate certain things. And what I was getting at is there's not a lot of difference between that and me watching a classic movie and lording it over other people like, oh, <laughs> you haven't seen Casablanca. I guess you must be, you know, you must not appreciate the classics. Well, Where that's there's very little difference between that and you must not appreciate the finer things. Mm-hmm. Attitude. This is exactly what I mean, though. That That's the hipster thing. That's the, oh, well, you know, you wouldn't know about it because it's pretty exclusive. I'm going to I'm gonna be snobby and shitty to you. Right, There's but a, that's the thing is, it's not exclusive. Well, it Like, anybody with a VCR could watch it. No, it would this, just, you'd, you'd need the appreciation. This, yeah, that's exa- this is exactly my point. So, the difference is, if you took a class in film theory or you know if you were able to train and learn about all the different things that go into making something like citizen kane or you know all these high-end art house movies and you had you took the time and the effort to learn the nuances and the details and the procedures and the methodologies the philosophies and the thinkings behind the whole thing so that when you sat down and watched it you started seeing 
all kinds of stuff you never saw before. It opened up a whole new world of appreciation for you. That's, in my mind, the difference between highbrow and lowbrow. That's not the false dead end part of that. The hipster. Oh, I sat down and watched it and you, you wouldn't understand it because you, you, don't, you don't watch it. But if you actually challenge yourself and put forth, and that's the, this is the rub of it, the effort. Take the effort, take the time to educate yourself on the nuances and the background and the things. You can open up so much more for yourself. And I say this as someone that hasn't done this, and not not for movies, not really. I've done this for specific movies, Donnie Darko. But (laughs) (laughs) so we hit the we hit the two November Rain and Donnie Darko. But but yes, like sitting down and putting in the time and the effort to look into what's happening that you might not know. All of a sudden, you appreciate so much more about it, and it becomes a much richer experience. This is something that is worthwhile, but too many people don't ever expend the effort. We we talked about it last week when we were talking about movie details and like when they on the beaches of by the way do you know how much it costs to film the uh opening sequence to saving private ryan uh, something crazy like 20, 20, 20 25 million 25 million to film yeah. that um but we we talked about break finding a detail in a movie and breaking it down uh, my wife and i did it the other day she's in love with this movie uh, the greatest showman and you know it's there's her favorite scene in the whole movie it's these two guys they're singing and dancing and they're doing this thing in a bar and it's like choreographed unbelievably choreographed and she's just blown away by the choreography and so we're watching it and like i'm squinting and i'm kind of like trying to figure things out and she's doing the same thing she was looking at the choreography i was looking at how they were actually filming it like she we paused it and she asked me to look at something and I asked her to look at something. And we both came away with a different appreciation because we sat there and broke down a scene. She appreciated it for one thing. I appreciated it for the camera movement because there are a lot of mirrors. Like the bar takes place in a mirror. There's a lot of mirrors in there and there's a lot of opportunities to see reflections of cameras. And it's clearly done. The, The camera work is on a robotic crane that is programmed into their choreography like it it needs to hit its marks just like just like uh the the dancers but it it's more than that because there's this style of filmmaking where it's very subtle where the um the center of the frame is doesn't seem like it's moving Mm -hmm. but the edges of the camera the edges of your tv it moves just ever so slightly and it gives the viewer a more a, a better appreciation into like i am in this room with these two people if mm-hmm. you have just a standard shot that's still framed and nothing is moving except the actors are in the center of the screen or on the side of the screen and they're talking but if you move that image ever so slightly if you pan out zoom in if you if that camera angle moves in any way it gives you a different uh like it gives you the feeling that you're in the room, I guess mm-hmm. is the best way to do it. You're you're yes. actively in the scene, um, and that's what they do in this scene. And she was kind of like, "Oh my god, that I I never thought of that before." Like I, and all of a sudden, and it, it was a, really this, cool. Yeah, it was it was cool. And f- in future, I see her starting to notice those types of things, and those are the types of things that are going to help her appreciate things a little bit more. I'm doing that right now with my seven year old. We're watching a lot of movies that probably are questionable like mm. beetlejuice we watch beetlejuice and there's some it's a it's a comedy but there are some for seven-year-old there's some scary moments like when they rip their faces off and 
pretend yeah. to have themselves in the closet. I mean, and stuff like that. But so we're watching that, and she's kind of like jump scare, jump scare, kind of like, I don't like this, I don't like this. And so I was like, hey, think about what it took for them to film that, and the more behind the scenes stuff that we can, I can watch with her uh, with stuff like that. The more I hope she appreciates like practical effects and the types of things that go into filming that movie. It's not as simple as somebody wrote down words and they turned on a camera and then these two people like wooden dolls or like sock puppets just decided mm. to recite the lines. Like there's so much more that goes into the filmmaking process that as soon as you start unpacking it, as soon as you like, like watch a scene unfold and uh, like understand why that scene is unfolding. Uh, like you can watch a movie one way and then, gain this appreciation by breaking it down and then watch a completely different movie. Like it's the same movie, but you're watching it in a different way. And that's, I think the crux of what we're talking about here is if you, if you put the time in and the effort and can appreciate things for that, you're congratulations. You're now galloping bareback through the wilderness. at midnight, <laughs> And that's always the goal. Well, see in my mind, sophistication is is an equation like to have something truly sophisticated or high class or highbrow however you want to say it there's an equation one half of the equation is the consumer and that consumer needs to be like you said you and your wife you you have to open yourself up educate yourself and be ready to take in detail and and the meeting you have to be able to take in the meeting the other half of the equation is the producer the creator who has to be able to make that meaning so i can watch a movie like um just because it's in my head now happy gilmore and because you put it there thanks a lot you and i I can laugh at it i can love it but i am not sitting there deconstructing the nuance of that movie because i really truly believe there's nothing to deconstruct now there's probably a little bit to deconstruct which is why as time goes on and adam sandlin does more movies they become less and less popular because they become less and less challenging or easy they become less they become more easy and less challenging they become just obvious joke cookie cutter nobody wants to watch that but that's the definition of true lowbrow very easy very unchallenging very cookie cutter when the jokes are obvious when the plot is predictable that's boring so like i feel like everybody's on board with that you just don't realize it like everybody wants things to be better it's just there's a line there's a, a barrier between truly complex which means truly difficult and easy and people too many people want to stay with the easy well okay let's <clears throat> just because you just watched it the other day no way out at the end of that movie like there's there are two endings to that movie yeah there's the end you know what i'm talking about there's the oh, first yeah, yeah. ending could you say that you would have been satisfied if that movie had ended with the first ending? I would have it, walked away going, well, that was interesting because, like I said, his antics were kind of fun to watch, running around the facility, you know, trying to step one step ahead. And I, I would have said, that's interesting. And I would have almost immediately forgot about it. But then you get the second ending. The second ending, the real ending. And, I mean, isn't doesn't that make that... Yes, and then you... And then, you can go back and watch all these other scenes because you're like, I sat there going, holy shit, I did not see that coming at all. Right. That makes every that that makes me want to go back and rewatch the whole thing because it makes means I'm going to pay attention to all these details that were just background noise before. Yeah. Appreciate the turn of phrase they used in this scene and the implied, you know, 
the implication and that's whatever yeah well like, i mean there's, the richness there's of it makes you makes it more enjoyable but it also makes it harder i can't just passively take it in if i'm going to appreciate it on a new level i have to invest more into it right and i feel terrible for people who sit and watch a movie like the game and they get the same exact reaction the same exact enjoyment out of watching that movie as they do like big daddy or yes you know like poor Adam Sandler we're just picking on him yeah I know but I mean if if you're watching those two movies and you get the same reaction from both movies Mm -hmm. I feel terrible for you like well like I keep coming back to you 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 told me about how you had this friend that saw Barton Fink yes so you saw it and you came back with all these like I think this means this and I think this is a representative of that he's just like oh I just like the movie and didn't think about it right that's exactly what I'm talking about I I I felt like an idiot that he had told me he had sold this movie to me. I watched it. I didn't like it, but I appreciated almost every scene in that movie meant X, Y, or Z. And it really, really made me think you, you, like it for that movie, probably out of all of the movies I've seen that I did not like the movie, but it every step of the way you have to think like, um, <clears throat> What's the other one? Mulholland Drive. Yeah, this, exactly. that's another one. Did not like it. However, I get. No, you got to pay attention. You, you know, you got to if you're going to get you, anything out of it. Yes, and you're right. Barton Fink was that movie where mm-hmm. he just sold it, and then I borrowed it, watched it, brought it back to him. Like, okay, let's talk about this. And he was like, "Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what do and you that's, mean?" That's tragic. That's so. What I got up a second ago. I wanted to show you this real quick. The, to drive my point home, I have this. Eh, if you can see it, it's the HP. Okay, now it's gone away because I'm talking. That's the at the annotated HP Lovecraft. Look how look how big this. Holy, is. that is H- a tome. HP Lovecraft wrote short stories. This is completely dense. The, I'd say, like so, you have to be. Have you read that whole thing? No, I've read the stories in it. All, I read all these stories. This is the annotated where they go through. The, this guy meticulously went through all the stories and put footnotes about what, if he's making it like a literary reference, what that reference is, what was happening in the world at the time that might have influenced him. Dear God, that pictures for the um, for the listener. That is a gigantic book, probably two and a half, three inches thick easy and it's a big book like it's a coffee table size book and uh it is basically hp lovecraft with with footnotes and side notes and margin notes and footnotes and pictures like if you if he mentions a painting in one of his because lovecraft was very well read very um he knew about the minutiae of literature like incredibly so and he was actually pretty well versed in science and stuff so if you read one of Lovecraft's stories, especially since it was written in the early 1900s, you're going to get a lot of references to things that as a somebody reading in 20,000, 20, 2018, you're going to be like, <laughs> what the fuck's he talking about? People, places, even ideas. Well, Sh- Shakespeare is. Yes. I mean, that, he was making up words. Well, and I want to, that's a great little bridge there because there was something about Shakespeare I want to mention. Shakespeare was once considered the height of sophistication, then became the pop, the YA, the Fifty yeah. Shades of Grey of his day. Like when Shakespeare came to America, Shakespeare was, at the, you know, when it was 
ported over from Britain. It was, you know, people went inside, they got dressed up, they wanted to see these plays. Then it came to America and people would get off of work and go see it. If yeah. you like going to watch a movie, going to watch TV. But whereas before people would memorize, it was their lives. You would memorize it. You would, uh, you know, you would find the, not a new play because of Shakespeare, but you find the best actor that filled this role and criticize that and sophist and uh you know break down that but you would people's lives revolved revolved around it and then all of a sudden it got with the printing press and the population bloom and the, and the um increase in literacy it became pop culture yeah you know before tv before movies it was shakespeare people just would like yeah i'm gonna go watch king lear and they would like and people would love watching the violent stuff or the, oh, i'm sure the yeah like the more the more you know thinkers, the more comedic stuff. Yeah, they wanted to see the blood and the tits. They wanted to see the sex and the gore. Really, anybody interested can go back to our gratuitous sex and violence episode. <laughs> it's all Willie Shakespeare, man. He started the whole thing. But there's there's like the highbrow Shakespeare and the lowbrow Shakespeare, and a lot of people in America were poo pooing the people that like to watch. You know, just go in there and see like the, the Romeo and Juliet and forego the Hamlet or you know something. I don't know. I can't remember which ones. Which. I don't. I wasn't there big into Shakespeare, but there's high class Shakespeare, low class Shakespeare, and people started shitting on Shakespeare as being for the masses, pop culture. And that used to be the epitome of highbrow. It's come full circle. Now it's highbrow again. Now it's high class. Yeah. Because we've replaced it with television and movies and all that stuff. Yeah. But I found this um <laughs> this thing. It's kind of funny. I guess in nineteen forty nine, Life magazine printed out the the guide to what's highbrow and lowbrow. <laughs> Ooh, I'd like to and know they, Highbrow and lowbrow back then. Well, they divided the categories and they actually had four levels. It was highbrow, upper highbrow, low, or upper upper middle brow, lower middle brow, and then lowbrow. And some of these are kind of funny, like records. Highbrow was called Bach, and you know other classical per people, but upper middle brow was symphonies and concerts and operas. So operas wasn't even considered highbrow. Really? Yeah, like pure composer classical music. That was. That was the highbrow. Step below that was an opera. Step below that is a light opera. And then the bottom lowbrow was a jukebox. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. But for games, they said highbrow was go, you know, the whole Asian. Supposed to be more complex than chess. Oh, I I don't. I've never heard of it. You never heard of go? No. Yeah, so it's like chess masters wish they could be as good as a go master. Really? They just had a supercomputer that was able to has learned how to play Go and beat all the best Go players out there. And that scares the hell out of a lot of people that a computer's that good. Because Go is supposed to be like, ins- it's, it's, remember playing Othello like on the computer? Yeah. Different, like black and white. It's basically the same thing, but to like a huge extent. You move and capture pebbles and flip them. And yep. I guess one game can take hours and blah, blah, blah. So that was the highbrow. And then the lowest of the lowbrow was craps. <laughs> Stuff about Which craps. Has- well, the secret about craps is it has the highest odds against the house. Oh yeah, yeah. Craps, huh. craps has the highest odds in favor of the player. So then, yeah, that's why it's the lowest brow. It's not even poker, <laughs> right? Bridge was a step above, but yeah, it's they even have salads. <laughs> Highbrow <laughs> salad was uh, olive oil, wine, vinegar, greens, ground salt, ground pepper. An unwashed salad bowl. I don't know what the fuck that means. Ugh. <laughs> and then it said upper middle brow is the same as high brow but with tomatoes and avocado. <laughs> <laughs> wow, avocado back then? Yeah, that was considered upper middle brow. Huh. Then lower middle brow is quartered iceberg lettuce, and then low brow is coleslaw. <laughs> oh, I love me some coleslaw. But uh, entertainment, high brow, ballet. 
upper middle brow theater mm. is lower theater, middle. How do they end theater? Is it the T R E T E R T E R? But they got guys dressed like Shakespeare people. So oh, okay, Henry Still the Eighth. Yeah. Uh, lower middle brow was a musical extravaganza film, and then low brow <clears throat> westerns. Oh, good western. <sighs> But yeah, it's uh, they had furniture, lowbrow furniture, was overstuffed chairs, highbrow was, I don't even know, some kind of designer's name, <laughs> crazy, hmm. highbrow sculptures, highbrow drinks. The highest, the highbrow drink was a glass of red wine. Of course, under that was very dry martini with a lemon peel. Under that was bourbon and ginger ale, and then bottom, you get one guess: whiskey, beer. Oh well. <laughs> but yeah, that I mean that shows the completely arbitrary nature of this. I mean they had highbrow salads. What the fuck is that? Well, so, it's in an, it's in an un, unwashed bowl, I can tell you that. Yeah, an unwashed bowl. Like, So this is like this is the pitfall I was talking about before. Sometimes things get labeled because they're just labeled that way. Like a move, like like we talked about yesterday, like reality television. It's lowbrow entertainment that contains upper class people sometimes, like the Kardashians or the Hiltons. Yeah. Like I'm not even going to call them highbrow per se, but they are high class in the most or, low class form you've right. ever met perceived to be and right. that you know that is a, a celebrity status where they are paid to appear somewhere and people clamor to be in their presence like i guarantee you paris hilton could go to a you know 10 course meal with a thousand dollar plate <laughs> you are so good looking so good looking especially on that tape or that video anyways with a with a night vision i want to see her bare back at night with a night vision yeah are we still anyway. talking about paris hilton anyways yeah she's a lot but i guarantee you she could go to these sophisticated thousand dollar plate dinners because that's how she grew up but at the same time she's going to get loaded at a club and take a dick up her ass in the bathroom so that's <laughs> that's something that can run the gamut yeah she uh is a jack of all trades <laughs> she jacks off all trades that's right um yeah there but there is definitely a a whole like clique of celebrity that don't do anything or not necessarily don't do anything but mm-hmm. they're the the reality TV celebs. Yeah I remember I heard Jaja Gabor once was described as a woman who got famous for going on talk shows and telling everybody she was famous. Yeah. And that's the Hiltons, that's the Kardashians, that's them yep. all day long. Yep, absolutely. I'm famous because I say I am. Yep, I'm rich, and all of a sudden I'm everywhere. Yeah, and the media loves Congratulations, yeah. I'm going to do something completely ridiculous that everybody's going to be talking about at work the next day, and then they're going to be wondering what I'm going to do next. Mm -hmm. That's a weird Frankenstein monster. They're surrounded by sophistication. They've got the most expensive cars, the biggest houses. They can go to the biggest parties and rub elbows with the most famous people but they are wallowing in the lowest common denominator every day and that's how they make their living it's this weird split personality sickness frustrating yes exactly but i did want to touch on this i found this it's kind of funny and i I don't know how i feel about it so apparently the um brooklyn museum in 2002 had a star wars the myth the magic of the myth display Mm -hmm. and this is i guess a high-end museum and a lot of professional critics bemoan this. Like, this is where museums have gone to, that they have to wallow in Star Wars. It's like, I go to a museum to take in the height of culture. I do not expect to see Princess Leia's gold bikini. And I'll be goddamned if I'm not sitting there going, yeah, there's something to that. I love me some Star Wars, but there's something to the fact that 
there needs to be a I don't know a, di- a divergence. There needs to be a dividing line because there's some some something to be said for the fact that there's some things as beloved as they are are never going to be that complex. Except that, in I'll just to take the opposing viewpoint. I'll say what? no, you don't do that. Never. <laughs> I'll say that Star Wars did change things in a big, big way, just like Jaws did. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, any of those tentpole movies from back before they had tentpole movies. Well, yeah, but so did McDonald's, but I'm not going to call that sophisticated either. <laughs> well, that's the difference between what the museum you're putting it in, because you can go to the fucking Pez well, Museum in sure. Connecticut. There's a museum for everything, but I'm right. talking about a museum that holds, you know, Rembrandts and Picassos and Da Vinci's. Yeah. I, also has a Star Wars Jabba the Hutt ex- exhibit. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, there's something about this that I, I kind I, of agree. I, I guess I can see that viewpoint, but I also see the cultural significance of Star Wars versus, I mean, f- for one, I'm proof positive right now. I'm wearing a Star Wars t-shirt. You can walk <laughs> into any store and buy a Star Wars t-shirt. Can you buy a Rembrandt t-shirt? I bet you can. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So what, when it comes to popularity and its impact on culture, what's the difference between Star Wars just because it's camping? Star Wars is more popular. It's well, and this is what, what we've been talking about the entire time, the complexity of it, the, I don't know, the raw talent that had to go. Like I said, I love me some Star Wars, but what is Star Wars? It is George Lucas ripping off samurai films, westerns, and World War II movies. Right, but as a you know a, a kid sitting in the movie theater watching that, are you watching a samurai movie? No, are, and, I mean before you saw have... Star Wars, did you have an appreciation for samurai movies? Did you have an appreciation for westerns? Did you have an appreciation for like all those things that he ripped off? Without a doubt, ripped off. I mean, how many people left Star Wars salivating for another hit, another thing? And how many people maybe were turned on? Like, that's what I'm saying about the impact of Star Wars. At the time, probably had just as much impact on the people as some painter from the Renaissance. You know, Michelangelo, like, if you're trying to compare Michelangelo to George Lucas... For what Michelangelo did for his people in his time, George Lucas did for his people in his time. I like I'm able to see that. I'm I'm not saying that I'm some hipster, but not just to be a contrarian. I'm saying that I understand Star Wars is like on the tip of everybody's tongue. It's it's art. It's it is. It's art. This is one of those debates that probably won't be settled until long after we're dead just because michelangelo like the sistine chapel or david or da vinci's you know mona lisa whatever these are things that have been around for hundreds of years and will be around until they crumble to dust it remains to be seen if that's the same as true of star wars because star wars is still a thing that has been created within living memory so will it stand the test of time it's it's yet to be seen i i could say yes but i can't say that confidently, you know? And I will definitely say, you know, the Sistine Chapel, as long as the Sistine Chapel exists, it's going to be studied and spoke of and taught in classes. Whereas Star Wars is... 
It's I guarantee it's going to be it's, I it's be a college that w- class studying Star Wars. Yes, and it'll be a college class that is about late 20th century culture, and that is it. Whereas a class about, you know, the Sistine Chapel is going to be about so much debate about what was meant and what was like, like the whole thing with the brain, like somebody saw that hundreds of years later. Yeah. Is that was that on purpose? Is that you read like I don't think anybody's going to look at Return of the Jedi and read a new layer into the Ewoks. It is what it's exactly what it looks like. No, it is. but you could read a layer into the father son relationship, uh, power struggle, um, community, and you know a small group of people coming together to accomplish something big. I like it. It is this, this is this is like the thing that I said. I'm going to piss everybody off. Because I'm shitting on what everybody loves. Like, the superhero movies is the same way. Like, in 20 years, you're going to maybe look back on Avengers Infinity War, a movie that I absolutely love, with some kind of nostalgia. But you're not going to sit there thinking it was a tour de force, game-changing, you know, pillar of the genre of the industry. It was a big-budget movie that was flashy and fun and really entertaining. And And it's going to be forgotten as time goes on. It is going to be forgotten. Well... You can you can probably draw just as many comparisons to Michelangelo and George Lucas as as not. I mean, their their work is culturally significant. It is, and, and but is is it for, culturally enduring? I don't know, but that, that's, is that that's are those the requirements for being in a museum? That's and that's what I'm thinking. There's some museums that need to be just that. Probably the lowest turnout, the lowest foot traffic museums in the world. But I feel like there needs to be a pinnacle that shouldn't be like there should be another museum that's a pop culture museum, a 20th century museum, a movie museum, whatever you want to call it that has all this stuff in there. But a high oh, I suppose you're going to say a museum just for whites then. A museum for furry <laughs> midgets. <laughs> No, and, I and people I, wearing gold costumes. There there are plenty of people that do not give a shit about Star Wars. There yeah. there are plenty of people that could not care less about the Mona Lisa. You know what I mean? Like Oh yeah. You're going to have groups that are not going to appreciate one thing for another. And I completely see the point of somebody that would walk in to a museum to see a Picasso, you know, mm-hmm. something that they consider that has uh, had a an impact on culture, and this person did X, Y, and Z for you know the way we perceive things in culture today. And I can see walking into that museum and going to the Picasso, and then turning to the left and be like, "Oh, uh, great! There's Star Wars. There's you know some nerd picking his nose, you know, that lives in his mom's basement." Mm-hmm. You know, is that is that what we're going to celebrate culture wise? The the nerds that <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can see I can understand the difference, but I can also understand that one thing is just like the other. Yeah. Because I if if you put me in a room with a Picasso, I could not care less. I don't care about Picasso paintings, other than the fact that it might be worth a million dollars, and I'm standing next to something that's worth a million dollars. And the same goes for the Mona Lisa. When when I like, you can't get close to the Mona Lisa in that museum, the Louvre. I guess it's in the Louvre. Yeah, something like that. And you see pictures of people standing in the room to see the Mona Lisa, and like. Number one, the first thing that comes to my mind is how do we even know that's the real Mona? Like, 
probably the real Mona Lisa is put away somewhere. And this is some sort of replica that they roll out just in case somebody decided to break through the velvet rope and and smash it with a tomato. You know what I mean? Like, this, who knows what goes through people's minds? So the first, if I were in the room with the Mona Lisa, the first thing I'd think of is, that's eh, a fake. It's cool. I guess I'm in the same room as the Mona Lisa, but, you know, well, whoop-de-doo. Here's what I think of. Uh, somebody we work with went to Spain and saw what I consider my favorite painting, which is Hieronymus Bosch's The Garden of Earthly Delights. Yes, I remember you telling me that. Yeah, and so do you remember what it looked like? It was a triptych. It's three panels, three... Uh, yeah, it shows like the fall of scenes. man or like the birth it, of man. and It kind of goes like from paradise to hell, like yeah. from left to right. I love delving into this painting because there's so much going on the symbolism the activity the the characters the ideas of what he's trying to say by not even just each panel but each section of each panel what everything's supposed to represent you could sit there for a week and learn something new about it hour by hour minute by minute pouring over it day by day that in my mind is a difference between highbrow high class sophistication and and like i said this is what i'm setting out to piss everybody off and that star wars trilogy where it is exactly what you think it is there's no hidden meaning to it it's the hero's journey it's the villain being redeemed it's the other villain being conquered it's the rebel spirit it's the all the things that are fun and entertaining and endearing and even enduring to an extent i'm also not picking it apart minute by minute and breaking it down and figuring out the nuance and the subtext and the hidden messages because they're just frankly not there but something well, you, in a museum like this and that, maybe the Mona Lisa doesn't fall in this category but some paintings like this where you you could take an art history class or a painting class where you realize the technique that went into it just that is sophistication that is high class well, as far as being in a museum, I would expect to see Star Wars next to the Mona Lisa before I saw Star Wars next to the U.S. Constitution. There you go. Yeah. I I can I can see that. One is not like the other. Mm. And But when it comes to art, which can be broken down, like it's what probably back, if we're going to roll this back to the philosophy part of it, it's probably art is probably just as important to the human makeup as math is Mm -hmm. like physics oh sure i think it's probably what separates us from probably person to person to person whereas we all have the basic chemical makeup but we all have a different idea of what art is um from paintings to architecture to like it's that's what makes us us kind of i guess Mm -hmm. and when i think about art i think the mona lisa Mm -hmm. could be in the same building as return of the jedi i and not to be offensive but i can see star wars in the same place as the painting that you love so dearly because it's art oh no we're gonna have to fight now okay that's fine but i wouldn't be able to see it in the same place as a Civil War musket or, uh, you know, a train museum or, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't belong in other types of museums, but I can see it belonging in the same museum as other art. Um, And to go a, a step further, I can't see it in the same museum as the Bridget Jones diary. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like Star Wars 
is a different thing. And maybe not just the movies, maybe the idea of Star Wars and what Star Wars is. And that's probably the nostalgic person coming out of me. But I feel like anything that is an art that had an impact the way Star Wars did, um, like I Love Lucy or The Honeymooners or like mm-hmm. there's there is a difference between entertainment styles, I guess. So maybe the Mona Lisa and, you know, that would belong with more of things like its kind where Star Wars isn't just a painting. Mm -hmm. So maybe separate them that way. But I certainly would not, if I went to a museum that focused on art, I wouldn't bat an eye to have Star Wars next to uh, Picasso or something like that. I've been to the Boston Museum of Art. I have seen some old, sophisticated paintings in the same building as a fucking paint splatter that somebody calls art. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, how are those two things the same? How is this complex Picasso the same thing as a meat dress? I remember going to the Boston Museum of Art, and they had on display a dress draped over a mannequin that was made out of meat. This is this is what I was talking about for the pseudo sophistication. There's like this is the sommelier of the art world. This is the people that pat themselves on the back and tell each other how great they are. And it's 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 masturbation. It's all it is. There's like this is what if if you get nothing else from this entire episode, this is what I want to get out to everybody is that I feel like there's an objective measurement for these things. When you have the meat dress or the, you know, the bucket of paint on a canvas or the fucking soup can from Andy Warhol or whatever the fuck you're doing, there is a pseudo intellectualism about that, that it's it's the Kardashians of the art world. It's, hey, watch that. I'm famous, so I'm going to bake something famous. It's going to be famous because I'm famous. And I'm famous because it's famous. It's it's a cycle that feeds on itself. There's nothing inherently complex and sophisticated and nuanced about it. It's only, it's a mirror to whoever's looking at it. So so if you're walking up to it and you see a blue splotch and a red splotch on a white canvas and you think that's genius, that says something more about you than the painting. And if you think that's art, then fine. I'm, like I've always said, I'm not going to tell somebody what they're supposed to like when they're not supposed to like what they can call art, what they can call art. But you can't sit there and tell me it's very complex and multi-layered and it's just not. It's just not. There's nothing to it. It's a blue splotch and a red splotch on a white canvas. Yeah. You can you can spout off on what you meant it to be all day long, but it's just not there. It's just not there. <laughs> yeah, and not to bring it back to Beetlejuice, but they do a really good job of satirizing that. Because oh, yeah, exactly. the the the, the the Maitlands are one way, and I can't remember the name, uh, the Dietzes. The Maitlands are one way, and the Dietzes are another way. Mm-hmm. And the mother, Dietz, Catherine O'Hare, Hera? Catherine O'Hara, she plays like an over-the-top masturbatory artist where right. her, her artwork is trash, but she it's beloved to her, and it ends up coming to life and doing her in in the end. But the Maitlands spend their time in you know he's an artist he puts together that model he you know yeah that's sophistication that is that thing is detailed and complex right in their house and the you know their style like like the architecture like there's so much difference but there's so much different between the two and that movie does a really good job of you know um doing a caricature of both sides 
Well, and I like it too because she has it in her to be an artist. At the end, when she makes that sculpture of Beetlejuice's head or whatever, like the snake head thing, yeah, that's a good, talented. That takes some actually effort. It shows that she had it in her. She was being lazy before with a you know quote unquote modern art bullshit. But when she applied herself, she actually produced something that was very complex, very artistic. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's because it's great. Yes, Beetlejuice, man. I got to watch that again. (laughs) (laughs) So before we inevitably go on to the trivia, I did have one question I want to shoot your way. Yes. What would you give me as an example of highbrow television? Not movies or songs, but highbrow television. Because traditionally, people would say there is no such thing. I would say PBS, anything on PBS. Masterpiece Theater, absolutely, is... I, I think uh, Downton Abbey really crosses the bridge into like super popular culture because it was a soap opera. It was if that's a weird hybrid. Yes, it had it, it had it was a historical period piece that was fascinating, but it was also a full on soap opera. Yes, but otherwise, there's a lot of that stuff that's on PBS that is I consider highbrow mm-hmm. for television and. If we're going to remain true to our definition of what highbrow truly is, I'd say Arrested Development all day long, baby. Exactly. And I was going to, if you didn't say it, I was going to say it. Yeah. When you have the callbacks and the long setups and the multi-layered, non-immediate payoff that you have to pay attention to get yep. down the road. Yes. That is sophistication. That is definitely sophistication. Absolutely. And it's and look what happened. Three seasons and then a tank because people couldn't appreciate it. Right. What's going into its goddamn like twelfth fucking season? Big Bang Theory. Yeah. And Easy Human. NCIS Los Angeles. And in the all those things that you just turn your brain off to watch. I feel like almost from the beginning, we've been talking about highbrow, lowbrow. We just haven't been using those terms. Yeah. Like, this is what we've been saying from the start. This is, <laughs> we call ourselves the masters of profundication because we make things profound. We take things and peel the layers back and examine them. So we try to turn things into highbrow, sophisticated things. That's our purpose. We do have a purpose. Our entire podcast forget. is high class. Boom. High class. Highbrow, high sophistication, bareback rides <laughs> through the midnight wilderness. So every time we talk about, you know, midget sex and horse perf rape corner, and perf perf, all every perf corner we had was just one more layer to the foundation of the skyscraper tower that is the highbrow upper class sophistication of our podcast. Yes. You're welcome. Fart joke. <laughs> Every dick joke, every anus joke, dick punch, dick punch. When when we when you punch him in the dick from behind the ferns and skeet it everywhere, well, that we, is. But hold on, we never really got to the bottom of this. Is a dick punch when you punch somebody in the dick, or when you get punched with a dick? Yes. See, there's some highbrow shit for you. If you punch somebody in the dick with your dick, I think it causes a black hole. It's called docking. <laughs> It just sucks it off. Yeah. Um, let's let's leave our list. Let's get off this topic and leave our listeners with some things that they can watch that are highbrow. So okay. we've mentioned Arrested Development. There's not a lot of television programming right now that I think Game of Thrones, um, mm-hmm. Westworld, Westworld, absolutely. Um, I think Westworld might be the peak of dramatic 
highbrow television. Complexity, yes. Yeah, it's you're not going to get things much more highbrow than Westworld. Now, I will say back in the day, Lost, that skirted the line between highbrow and pseudo-highbrow because it had very good complexity on the surface. And then once you got to the end, you found out it wasn't there. It was like a bubble got popped, like a balloon got burst. Yeah. It ended up being hollow on the inside. Like, I still appreciate it and enjoy it looking back on it. But you thought there was more to it than there actually was because the writers didn't know where they were going. What about some um, highbrow movies? The the game, I would say, is one. Primer. Uh, We've we've got, when we talk about thinkers, I'd say we're talking about highbrow. Yeah. Yeah. Something that's really going to make you question reality. (laughs) Memento. Memento. Yeah. Um, now, hear me out. I say a movie like Naked Gun might be highbrow from a certain point of view. Yeah, at some point that just becomes a slapstick. There, it is. It's, there's enough dialogue in that that you can... There's enough subtle humor to... There is, maybe, absolutely. Maybe. You have the over-the-top, ridiculous slapstick humor, and then you have the subtle humor that kind of... Well, sweeps you off your feet because there's a differentiation between the naked gun or airplane and some of the newer crap like that like date movie or epic movie or disaster movie those movies suck yeah those movies are full-on awful and it's the exact same genre of movie as naked gun or even like scary movie or something like that very subtly clever humor yeah i could say you could make the case of that being highbrow, especially when you put it up against its pretenders like, you know, disaster movie or whatever. Agreed. But it's still just a slapstick. Comedy. It's not just slapstick, but it's mostly <laughs> slapstick. You're right. Now, uh, I got it. I can't. We, I would be remiss. I got to say this. Seasons two through eight of The Simpsons. Boom. Golden Age of TV. If you if you haven't watched it or if you haven't watched it in a while, rewatch it. I have. In fact, I was just, I told you about this a couple of weeks ago. I read, I read this guy's essay about why, what happened to the Simpsons after at, in, in season 10, they call it the zombie Simpsons. It, it was the form of the Simpsons, but it died and came back to life. Yeah. And it's because of what they call jerk ass Homer. Homer stopped being, because Homer Simpson originally was, he was dumb and lazy, but he was generally well-meaning. Yes. Like he never set out to be an asshole to people. He just kind of stumbled into being annoying or into wacky situations. After season 10, Homer became a cartoon, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, I get He became, became Wile E. Coyote. He became Daffy Duck. And, he, and that's because he fell victim to the whole devolving into, he had to be stupider every episode. Mm-hmm. Had to be more over the top, more stupid to keep. Simpsons should have ended at the end of season eight. It should have, that should have been its entire run. But because that run was so good, the zombie got resurrected has been living on for 20 more years and it is unwatchable. Like what? Try to watch the Simpsons. If you, if you chuckle, you're lucky. Instead of lampooning popular culture and celebrities, it's sort of worshiping at the feet. You'll have the seasons two through eight had uh, guest stars, celebrity guest stars, not being themselves, or if they were themselves or making fun of themselves. After that, celebrity guest stars were just, hey, look, there's Lady Gaga. There's Metallica showed up for five seconds just being Metallica. Hey, Green Day's playing a concert. The Who's in here. You know, the Rolling Stones are teaching Homer how to play electric guitar. That's funny, right? It's It became cringeworthy so yeah that's when simpsons went from being highbrow and i'll say it simpsons was highbrow to being the lowest of lowbrow that's the if you want to see a good example that's it right there 
What about some highbrow books? Um, well, the highest brow book I could say I ever read was uh, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. But Atlas Shrugged is a highbrow book. Agreed. You can like it or hate it or be whatever, but you cannot deny its complexity and the richness of ideas and its place in society. And the characters are highbrow. Like, not the majority of them, but Mm -hmm. certainly the main characters are, they live a more sophisticated lifestyle. Uh, Oh, yeah. But yeah, that is absolutely... Every character is a representation of an idea she wanted. They're they're not... I mean, the, the... the criticism of Ayn Rand's stuff is that she's selling an idea, not a story, which I totally get and I'm fine with. So every character is a point she wants to make, good or bad. Yeah. So you're not going to sit there and say, you know, John Galt is this very rich, complex character. He's he's he's, he's cookie cutter. He's two dimensional. So is Dagny. So is Dagny's Hank brother. Here, so is Hank. They're all a point she wants to make. And she's not trying to make them relatable or you know, you you go on the journey with them. She's trying to make a point and send a message, and that's that's why the entire book is taken as a work. But you can't break it down into characters. That message is sex on a train. Oh yeah, but if somebody better comes along, you better be cool with it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what gets me. When she gets into social stuff, like two people are like quote unquote in love with each other, but then the better man comes along and the lesser man's cool with it because he's a better man. So objectively she, he's fine with her right. taking off with the better man. Yeah. Yeah. And like, women, huh. women that have sex with multiple partners are not sluts. No. Yeah. As long as you choose the good one. <laughs> That's right. As long as you trade up every time you're fine. Um, I, I want to say that it's highbrow just cause it's my favorite book of all time, but the stand not really highbrow. <laughs> I, well, I mean, by our oh. definition of highbrow, if, if you got complexity and nuance and multi-layered, and Stephen King, I mean, as annoying as it is, he's definitely all about the symbolism and the abstract thinking. Yeah, but I don't think the stand delivers that. I think the stand is a straight-up post-apocalyptic track yeah. across. Yeah. Uh, I suppose towards the middle, in the middle end, there's some stuff there with the devil and and God, good versus yeah. evil. But yeah. I only wanted to say that because it's my favorite book <laughs> gotta sneak it in there yeah um not i don't think there's been a lot of sophisticated books that i've read um a lot of the trash that i read is just trash and sometimes that's where you gotta I like i'd like hear me out everybody that's listening that hates my guts right now i am not shitting on what you like i'm just saying don't be satisfied go above it so if you like reading james patterson and you know what's her name ivanovich or whatever if you like watching the big bang theory and ncis if you like listening to taylor swift have at it and find your enjoyments where you can i'm not telling you not to do that what reading any of those like ready player one is like chewing bubble gum that the flavor's gone in five minutes but that that five minutes that five minutes was awesome yeah it was awesome that's that's what makes life worth living is those fun distractions what makes life have a point is the sophisticated part of it. Don't abandon the challenge for the easy is what I'm saying. Yeah. PSA, the more you know, knowing it's at the battle. Um, I have some interesting ideas for sophisticated music. Mm, okay. Um, I've talked about it before. I think I might have been either the first or second episode we did, but there is a whole genre of 80s synth music. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That you can get as deep into as you want. And really, on the surface, all it is is synth pop from the 80s. Mm-hmm. But there's some music that comes out of that, 
like um, the best example that I have that you would be familiar with is the theme song, the opening theme to uh, Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. That group is called Survive, and they have some incredible music. Just, I mean, it's quick and easy if you want to go to YouTube and just put them in. Um, there's a space in between every letter of Survive, mm-hmm. but either way, and then. <laughs> There'll be, uh, YouTube does some recommended stuff. So if you like what you're listening to and just kind of move down the chain, there's some really, really complex music coming out of that genre that I think is pretty sophisticated, pretty highbrow. I've I've never been a big techno fan myself, but there's a lot of techno out there that really is very rich. And, and this is, uh, techno, I guess on a technicality but it's it's a lot of ambient uh atmospheric if it's made with electronic purely electronic means i i lump that into techno so right or wrong that's my definition of it yeah but it's not like your your typical dance hall uh david getta or moby or uh fat boy slim or you know some of these other things that you would consider techno Mm. it's it's more it, to be perfectly honest, it's the kind Moby of has shit. some really good stuff. True, but this isn't that. It's this is nah. more like the shit that plays during theme songs to '80s TV shows. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's no, I, no, I got you. It's and yeah. it's non-lyrical. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, there's some really fantastic stuff, okay. uh, but most of the stuff I listen to, like I listen to a lot of Tool, mm-hmm. which I. I consider that to be highbrow. The time changes and just those songs are written expertly. That's why it takes them 12 years to come out with an album. But Mm -hmm. um, lyrically and musically, Tool is phenomenal. Um, But again, most of the stuff I listen to is that or just garbage. Like (laughs) hairband stuff. Hairband stuff from the 80s. And, you know, I love it to death but i'm not ignorant to what it is well have you ever heard um lord huron yeah that's the one that um uh you turned bill onto right and then technically sort of yeah but yeah like joe likes it too but um this this is i just discovered it and i'm this is what i mean like i'm so happy like it is very complex lyrically very rich tonally like the entire album if you listen to the second album strange trails it's almost like one big song every song bleeds into the one next to it there's three songs the first one one in the middle and the the last one on the album that are roughly the same song but tweaked enough that they're just different enough that they sound interesting and that they um like it's like it's it's not like he got lazy it's on purpose but it's very intriguing the way he's like it's taking one thing and saying if i switch this part and this part what happens and if i switch this part and this part then what happens and it's very it, it's engaging it keeps your attention it's not something you can just space out on the lyrics are profound they really are and it's almost like a mystery like you're trying to cipher a story as it goes along as you're listening to this entire album like there's a theme that you're that's unfolding as you're listening to it and this is what makes life worth living is discovering these things like this not just the bland passing time killing your boredom just this flowering of amazement that you've discovered that you didn't expect to discover that that's the the crux of what i'm saying okay that's the crux of this entire thing let yourself be challenged let yourself be annoyed let yourself take the time to figure something out don't just consume don't just be satisfied with easy done 
That's it. That, I'm done. My, that's my message. Okay. <laughs> and I concur. There let's, you go. Let's do some trivia. Let's do some trivia. I I don't have a trivia question per se. I uh, I have a game. That's different. It's challenging and complex. I like it. It is challenging and complex. Do you want to uh, go first so you can get the trivia? Yeah, my, I, I had three things that were, I guess, trivia, but kind of a category I thought would be interesting for you. Okay. So these things happened at the same time as something else happened that's unlikely or unexpected. I'll say this is the okay. best way I can describe it. So the first one, Nintendo was founded when what notorious historical figure was still active infamous notorious villainous historical figure was still active when nintendo was founded well nintendo was founded in the 1800s that's correct so now so i'm trying to think of who would be nefarious during that time yeah not in the same area just it's it's basically wow this happened while the same time this is happening i wouldn't have expected that that's the gist of it. Kind of like John McCain's older than chocolate chip cookies. You're like, what the fuck? Oh, type of is thing. this, uh, don't tell me you're going to drop the whole George Washington thing on me. Mm, I, what's the George? No. What's the George, the George Washington thing? thing is that George Washington died before they found the first dinosaur fossil. So George Washington died never knowing there were dinosaurs. Oh, shit. I never heard of that. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I, I can't, I can't think of who would have been like the big baddie in that time. Jack the Ripper. Oh, wow. So I would Mario, not have guessed that. Mario and Luigi's forebears were hearing about Jack the Ripper in the newspapers. <laughs> All right. So the last known widow of a Civil War vet, Maudie Hopkins, died the same year as this president's uh, first term, first election. Ronald Reagan. No. George Bush. Getting closer. Bill Clinton. Getting closer. Barack Obama. Yeah. Are you kidding 2008, the last widow of a Civil War vet died in 2008. Wow. Well, it's funny because I actually read a book where they, some guy was touring the South, trying to get a feel for like, you know, the South South Come Again type crowd. Yeah. And he went to like a party for this woman. And basically the story is that this guy was young during the Civil War <laughs> and old as shit convinced this young girl, basically, you know, this farm girl, like, hey, I can give you a house and stability and I'm old as hell, so you get my, you know, military pension when I die. And she's like, yeah, okay. And she married him, like, in the early 1900s and lived to be old as shit. But she's a Civil War widow. No kidding. Technically. Died in 2008. Wow. Like, she wasn't married to the guy while he was in the Civil War, but he was a Civil War vet. obviously. She was his widow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That was... A coincidence. And then the last one, the last U.S. inmate to die by firing squad did so the same day as this well-known movie came out. And you know this movie well. The Matrix. No, and it was the third part of a, it was the third, it's a part three of a series. Return of the Jedi? No. Uh, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade? Getting colder. Oh, Jesus. Wait, was that before Jedi or after? I can't. Last Crusade was after Jedi. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so getting warmer technically. Well, you were warmest with The Matrix. And it was a trilogy? Technically, I guess they're talking about making a fourth movie, uh, from what I hear. But there's three so far. <laughs> How to Train Your Dragon. I don't know. It is animated. <laughs> Cars 3? So close. Uh, Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3. Wow. 2010. The last U.S. inmate to die by firing squad died in 2010. So the, uh, that's the way to go, man. <laughs> yeah, Telling that's you. badass. Maybe give me a blindfold of cigarette. That's how I want to go out, man. Yep. Any last words? I'm 
whoever kills me, I'm going to haunt you. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever's bullet goes through my heart. <laughs> That's the one. Okay. Did, do you remember? I remember hearing that they got rid of firing squads because it would mess up the people. Like only one person in the entire squad would have a bullet. So everybody could tell themselves they weren't the ones that actually killed somebody. Yeah, but they'd know. Yeah, probably. Uh, so mine's not so much a trivia question as it is a game that I'm going to call Movie Mogul. Hard I'm going to give, I'm gonna give you two movies. Mm. I'll give you the year in the movie, and you tell me which one made more at the box office. Ah, uh, okay. You ready? Ready. First movies. Olympus Has Fallen 2013 versus The Expendables 2 2012. Now, I... one of the things I will tell you that no, i won't tell you just go ahead <laughs> fuck you i'm not telling you shit um i'll tell you when we're all done i feel like the obvious answer has to be expendables but since it's the obvious answer i'm gonna say olympus has fallen you're correct olympus has fallen made 98 million aha expendables to 85 million because it took itself too seriously round two 2016 batman versus superman versus 2015 the martian it's gotta be batman versus superman sadly enough Batman versus Superman, three hundred thirty million versus The Martian, two hundred twenty-eight million. Which is actually pretty good for The Martian. Like, I like that movie. That's pretty good. I fucking yeah. hated Batman and Superman, but I know it made a lot of money. So now we're going to go to two thousand five, Mister and Mrs. Smith versus two thousand six, The Polar Express. Uh, Mister and Mrs. Smith. Spot on. One hundred eighty-six million for Mister and Mrs. Smith. Polar Express, one hundred sixty-two million. Which is not that good a movie. I, I really found myself not enjoying Mister and Mrs. Smith that much at all. I didn't absolutely hate it. I mean, it did have. Brad yeah, Pitt, I mean, so. I'm not sitting there spitting, you know, pissing everywhere because that's what I do when I hate movies. I spit and piss everywhere. I don't... <laughs> man, you uh, just see me in Batman Superman. The theater man, they escorted me out of there so quick. Floor was so slippery. I was just like ah! pissing everywhere. Spitting 1994, The Crow versus 1993, Dennis the Menace. Ah. <sighs> Sad as sad can be, I know that it has to be Dennis the Menace, but the crow is so good. Dennis the Menace made fifty-one million. That is what I'm talking about. That is the lowest common denominator shit. Of course, it's going to make the most money. The crow, fifty million. Huh. Uh, now we'll go to 1985, Police Academy Two versus 1983, <laughs> National Lampoon Vacation. Police Academy Two. You picked the wrong one. <laughs> ah, how's it so good? Yeah, you were. You were on fire. 1983 National Lampoon Vacation, 61 million. 1985 Police Academy 2, 55 million. Man, I would have thought the sequel to a popular movie versus the first entry. I don't know. Maybe Chevy Chase was just that big a draw. I don't know. Maybe. But um, what was significant about these is I gave you, most of them were just one year apart, but they were the same number in the box office for that year. So mm-hmm. Batman versus Superman versus The Martian, they were both number 10 the year that they, like uh, oh, okay. Police Academy 2 was, I think, like 28th in 1985. In 1983, National Lampoon was 28th. You know, see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they were they were matched up, you know, place by place. Like So they're like uh, spiritual brothers, but not yes. financial brothers. Yeah. So, that was profound. Yeah. <laughs> And so, that yeah. was Movie Mogul. Da, 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 da. What do Any, I win? I got four out of five or some shit like that, right? Yeah, you got four out of five. So I would consider you a Movie Mogul. <laughs> Gold star. All right. Gold star. Don't spend it all in one place. Bragging rights. Yes. Uh, and with that, I am going to bid you adieu. All right. Sayonara. So, uh, adios, amigo. I am the uh, the uh, bareback wilderness 
saying, <laughs> I knew luego, muchacha, muchacho. And I am Bob November Darko Scully. <laughs> saying, Hitting the pinnacle. That's how they do it in Scotland. That's how they do it on horseback. Uh, Dip me in your funny milk. Oak nuggets. Bye. Bye.